Well, today we are going to continue in our series from the Old Testament book, Jonah, where for over the past two weeks, I've tried to present to you this often considered children's story from an adult perspective. It's why we added the PG-13 tag to our sermon graphic, because although Jonah is a favorite Bible story of most children, it really isn't a children's story at all. It is a very, very much an adult story full of of raw feelings, emotions, and even hatred that if we're not careful, can rule our daily lives. And as we see through Jonah, it's got a way, um, it, it got in the way of what God wanted to do in and through him. And the same thing can happen to us if we're not careful. So I'd like you in preparation to go ahead and to turn to Jonah chapter three. We'll be reading that in just a bit. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind us. While you're doing that, let's just kind of do, uh, let, let's do a quick review. But I, before I do the review, I just wanna say, you're gonna find out today that um, Jonah holds the record for the world's shortest sermon. His record has lasted for over 27 centuries, and we are going to read it today. It's a long overdue message that God wanted him to present to the the Ninevites, and, and depending on which Bible translation you use, it's only eight words long. His entire message to the people, the Assyrians, is eight words long. But get this, when he originally preached it, he did it in in, um, Aramaic. So his sermon is actually, when he spoke it, only five words long. So Jonah is the sleepy church attender's dream. He really is. I mean, imagine getting five words from me in a closing prayer. You wouldn't even have time to fall asleep and snore out loud. And and you know who I'm talking to. You know who I'm talking about right now. Let's read together Jonah chapter three, verses one through 10. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, and here's his message, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way 
And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, before we take a closer look at this mini message, as well as the Ninevites' response to it, let's, let's talk about what has happened up to Jonah's life up to this very moment. Jonah was, as I told you, a very pro uh, popular prophet of God. He was sent east to preach God's message to the Assyrians in Nineveh, but due to his hatred for the Assyrians, Jonah instead bought a ticket on a ship heading westward to Tarshish, which was a Spanish fishing village on the edge of the known world at that time. No sooner than his vessel had gotten out of the water, out of the uh, harbor, excuse me, God threw a storm at them, their way. And, and this storm was like anything that these professional sailors had ever seen before. They knew that this was no normal storm. They believed that it was supernatural in its design and making. So they encouraged everyone on board to pray to his or her God for their very lives. And, and at that moment, it forced Jonah to, to admit to the sailors that he was the reason for this tempest that threatened to destroy the ship and drown every one of them. And at Jonah's request, the sailors reluctantly threw him overboard and immediately the storm stopped. And in the meantime, Jonah's body is floating downward in the depths of the Mediterranean Sea, finally hits bottom, seaweed tangled around him, and he, he's just about to pass out and drown. When it was then this uh, stubborn old prophet of God decided to cry out to God in prayer. And God immediately answered by sending a large ship, or a fish, excuse me, or a whale to swallow him, not a ship, rewind that. He sent a large ship or a whale, a fish or a whale to swallow him, I did it again. Okay, it was a fish. No ships. Daddy, pastor told that story wrong today. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish and he did a lot of soul searching and he did a lot of praying and all of this led him to recognize his own sin. And he repented and he renewed his vow to be God's obedient spokesman. Well, God then ordered the, the fish, <laughs> I almost said it again, <laughs> to vomit Jonah up on the beach in Joppa, the same place where he had caught the ship bound for Tarshish just days earlier. In other words, Jonah is right back where he started. Think of it, everything that he had been through, the storm, the near drowning, the three days and three nights in the belly of that, that fish, all of this hardship could have been avoided if he had just answered God's call and been obedient to what God asked him to do in the first place. Have you ever done that? Have you ever disobeyed God and gone some way and then after a while you finally came to your senses 
And when you did, you realized all the time and all the effort that you wasted in your own ridiculous behavior. I think we've all been there. Well, I'm sure that Jonah must have kicked himself repeatedly during that, that three-day journey to Nineveh while he reviewed in his mind all of his senseless actions. He must have felt very foolish for rebelling against our compassionate and our loving and our forgiving God. In fact, I think it was this realization that made the statement found in verse one especially meaningful to him. Perhaps his eyes were tearing up as he wrote this, I don't know, but look at the words with me again, and you'll see what I mean in Jonah 3.1, where it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And right at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, is when Jonah discovered that our God is a God of second chances. I understand, yeah, that's okay, you can clap at that. He is a God of second and third and 17th and 332 chances. That's our God, praise God. I understand, we do never get our time back that we wasted while we were in sin. And there is still consequences for our sin and for our rebellion. But through God's grace, when you and I repent, we get a chance, praise God, to start over. We get a chance to begin again. And that is good news for every single one of us. Because every one of us, at one time or another, has wished that we could have another shot. We've all made sinful mistakes in our finances, in our careers, as parents, as spouses, which lead us to wish that we'd have a chance to do it over. At one time or another, we have all longed for the opportunity for a fresh start. Well, Jonah's experience reminds us that, that God is the God of new beginnings. And when we humbly admit our sin and we express our desire and actually repent of that sin, God in fact helps us to start over. And as you can see through the Bible, God does this for several people who ask for a second chance. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, King David, Peter, John Mark, every one of these great men failed in one way or another, but they repented and they asked God for another shot and he gave them one. This is because, again, our God is the God of second chances and he wants very much to forgive us and to allow us to start anew. John Ortberg wrote, if there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his loving longing to forgive. Never forget that God's love for us and, his, and he, has, he loves us and his desire for us is so that we can start anew. It's why he sent Jesus to come and die for our sins in the first place. He knew that this was the only way that we could have our sins washed away. It could be the only way that we would have a fresh start. So when you see the folly of your sin, whenever that, that happens for you, when you yearn for, for God's forgiveness and God's second chance, then I encourage you 
to yield to that yearning and ask God to forgive you and to help you to start over, because he will. I read a story of a promising junior executive at IBM Corporation. He was involved in a, in a risky venture for the company. It ended up costing $10 million in the gamble that he was dealing with. And he was called into the office by Tom Watson Sr., who was the founder and the leader of IBM for over 40 years. He was, uh, he was a business legend, this guy. And the junior executive was overwhelmed and with, gear, with, with guilt and with fear, and he blurted out, I guess you've called me in here for my resignation. Well, here it is. I resign. And Watson replied, you've got to be joking. I just, invented, I just invested $10 million educating you. I cannot afford your resignation now. And I believe that this true story illustrates why it is that God longs for you and I to repent. It's so he can forgive us. It's so that, that he can be faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that he can cast our sin as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more because he has invested in the life of his son in order to make it possible for us to, in fact, begin again. John Ortberg continues, he says, redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of directionally challenged sheep. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the searcher of missing coins, the embracer of foolish prodigal sons. His favorite department is lost and found. I love that. Because just like Jonah discovered, when we repent, we can start over. It does not matter what mistakes you and I have made, we can start over. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 means. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, as your pastor, the sermons that I present every week come with the primary purpose of, of teaching you, the listeners, but I've come to realize that it really doesn't work out that way. What I mean is that I learn from, more from these sermons than you do. Whereas you spend about 40 minutes every week listening to these sermons, I spend literally hours working and reworking the content you hear the text read one time while I read it numerous times over and over throughout the week. It is in my, it's constantly in my mind and my thoughts throughout the week, and it's always on my mind. And one side effect of this is that I learn more from my messages than you do. And I think that we could say that Jonah discovered this same truth as he delivered God's message, albeit brief, to the people of Nineveh. Because it's pretty obvious in this, this third chapter that Jonah learned more through his experience of, of, of delivering this short sermon than the Ninevites did themselves. In fact, today I want to do just a little bit of a, a, a sermon study by reviewing the different things that Jonah learned through his preaching to the Assyrians in Nineveh. And the first one is this, God can use a preacher's pain in a powerful way. And I wanna just also say, not just a preacher, but a person. 
a child of God, a born again believer in Christ. God can use our pain in a powerful way. The best teachers and preachers that I know and, and that I've ever heard before, in my opinion, are the ones who have, who have encountered difficult times in their life because their pain has helped them in so many ways. They are now much more empathetic to their listeners because they better, better understand the difficult times that, that people go through. Their difficulties have taught them that we serve a trustworthy God and, and that we can rely on him when, whenever push comes to shove. And the pain that Jonah endured during this difficult time in the belly of that fish, particularly, I believe greatly worked to his advantage. It not only led him to renew his vow to be God's spokesman, but get this, it also made the people stop what they were doing and actually listen to his message. All five words. Now, why do you think it is that when Jonah stopped at every one of those street corners to deliver that sermon, that the people of Nineveh were actually listening to him? You have a lot of different thoughts on that. I think one of the reasons is because of the 72-hour acid bath inside the stomach of that fish. It would have literally changed Jonah's appearance when you think about it. His skin was probably bleached as well as his hair. That is, if he even had hair, that bleach could have caused his hair to fall completely out or the stomach acids could have done that completely. And his clothes were, were no doubt bleached out and full of holes. And, and Jesus infers something like this must have happened because in Matthew chapter 12, he says that he, he refers to Jonah as a sign to the people of Nineveh. In other words, when Jonah finally reached Nineveh, his appearance indicated something unusual had happened to him. Think about it. If you lived in Nineveh and a hairless man with skin that was all bleached out walked up to you and said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Wouldn't you listen? You'd at least, get, you'd at least look at him, right? Several commentary writers go as, to far as, go as far as to say that they believe Jonah being vomited out of the stomach of that great fish was witnessed by other people, people who maybe were happening to spend the day on the beach at the time he was regurgitated. And if this is true, then the story of his experience must have preceded him before he entered into Nineveh. Through travelers or, or through traders, we don't know. The news must have been made possible to the people and made them more anxious to actually hear what Jonah had to say. Author David Moore tells us that the main god of the Ninevites looked like a big fish. So can you imagine what people were thinking and what people were saying. I mean, to see Jonah barfed up on that beach in what they perceived as perhaps a great big fish god would have been quite an event. So when he finally arrived and he began to, to preach, you had better believe that those people listened. And all of this was a direct result of the tough time that, that he, had, he had endured. 
And God does the same thing with your and my pain. He takes the bad from our life that we've been forgiven of and that we've been delivered from, and he uses it for his good. He uses it to connect with other broken people who need to be delivered and saved. Romans 8, 28, the apostle Paul said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. I don't know about you, but I really tend to listen to people who have gone through great difficulties. I believe them when they say that God helps us to endure through difficult times. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the evangelist David Ring. He is a man who was born with cerebral palsy. And because of his disease, he walks with a limp and his speech is very much altered. But he's a powerful evangelist for God. And he literally keeps his audiences spellbound. He says, I'm like E.F. Hutton. <laughs> when I speak, people listen. And he constantly challenges people to be more faithful in their own personal evangelistic efforts. He says, I have cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? He spoke at our church in Phoenix once. It's, it's a powerful message. And listen, I'm not saying that it was good that Jonah sinned. But his sin gave him a lot of pain, which provided him with a powerful testimony. The truth is, I believe God could have used him even more powerfully the first time round when he said the first time, go to Nineveh and preach to the people there. But as Jonah learned, when we repent of our sin, God redeems that experience and he will use it for his glory. And this leads me to another thing that Jonah learned from his sermon. The results of a message depend on God's power and not on the one who is speaking. When Jonah crested that, that final hill and saw Nineveh out before him in a distance, he must have been overwhelmed. Because as it says, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, and it was. In Jonah's day, Nineveh was very impressive. It was a great city, and it would have been so impressive, especially to a country preacher from the hills of Palestine. The Bible says that Nineveh was so large that a visit required three days. This is because the greater Nineveh area included five surrounding cities, which together was 60 miles in circumference. There was great aqueducts and, and, and canals, and there were huge gardens. There was even a library from where archaeologists have discovered 16,000 volumes, some of which describe creation and the great flood of Noah's day. Nineveh proper was surrounded by a huge wall that was 10 stories high and wide enough on the top that three chariots could run abreast side by side around that wall. There were 1,500 towers equally spaced out all around that city. Each one of them was 20 stories tall, and they served not just as watchtowers from oncoming enemies, but they were also used as storehouses for weapons 
and weapons could quickly be transported to whatever part of the wall through wagons and chariots, like I said, because it was so wide in just a moment's notice, should an enemy decide to attack them. It was a heavily populated area. It's approximated between 600,000 and a million people. And the reason that guesstimation is because it's based on what God said in chapter four, that there were 120,000 who didn't know their right hand from their left. He was referring to children there. So when you do the math, that's where they come up with that number of population. So Nineveh was not some insignificant place. And Jonah must have fearfully thought, truthfully and fearfully, how alone can I have any impact on this enormous city? These people obviously have everything they would ever need at their fingertips, so why in the world would they listen to somebody like me? Well, as Jonah learned, he didn't need to fear. And that brings up my next point, because when we obey God, He speaks through us. When we follow Jonah's example and offer offer people God's word and not just our personal opinions, when we obediently speak out those things that God wants us to speak out, whether we are preaching or teaching or whether we are sharing our faith with another individual, amazing things happen. Because God promises this about his word in Isaiah 55, 11. It will not return to me empty. Speaking of his word, another translation says, it will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And that, my friends, is exactly what happened here in Nineveh. The text says that people actually listened to Jonah's sermon and they believed in God. They heard God speaking through this reluctant and somewhat self-righteous prophet. And in doing so, they believed in God. The Hebrew text makes clear that the Ninevites personally trusted God, trusted God. So theirs was a, was a response of faith. It's the exact same response that the Israelites had when God released them from slavery in Egypt. In Exodus 14, 31, it says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. It's the same response that is used to describe Abraham's faith in God in Genesis 15, 6, when it says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. You see, these pagan people, they heard God speak to them through this little bitty sermon. And this clearly shows us that when you and I are obedient, when we make good on our vows to God, just like Jonah did, and we, become, we then become vessels that are filled with God's power. And when you are empowered by God, ladies and gentlemen, nothing is impossible. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, we are not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. The truth of this text is especially seen in Jonah's experience because God used five words of, of his sermon to stir the entire population of the greater Nineveh area. 
from the king on the throne to the lowest person on the socioeconomic scale, whatever you want to call it. They were given 40 days, but they didn't need that long to repent. The entire city responded to God's message very quickly. And understand, this was the greatest revival in the history of the world. More people turned to God in repentance and in faith as a result of that sermon, that short sermon, than any other sermon that's been preached. It makes what happened actually on Pentecost seem small. Because not just a few thousand turned to God, but, but hundreds of thousands turned to God. All because a man named Jonah finally allowed God to speak through him. You know, one of the greatest thrills of being a pastor are those moments when you feel God's power. It's those times when you say things that you know are not coming from you, but they're coming from God. But even when they are words spoken by me, they are being heard by anointed ears. Because God has a part in all of this. He anoints me to speak. He anoints your ears to hear. And the message gets through in a way that it never would have before, just me and my flesh and you not being prepared to hear what I'm saying. And I want you to know something that is very important for you to realize. God just doesn't empower pastors to speak. He empowers every one of you. Don't ever doubt that. I encourage you to try it. When he gives you an assignment, when he opens a door, and you know that door has been opened so that you can speak to an individual about Jesus, you accept that assignment. Don't run away from it. Instead, you walk forward in the power of God. Let God speak through you, because when you do, you will see great results. Quit allowing your personal fears and your, your self-decided and determined limitations prevent you. Let God use you, ladies and gentlemen, and I guarantee you, you will see incredible results. Well, that leads me to the next thing that Jonah learned from his mini sermon. He realized there was an urgency in his task. The people needed the Lord, all of them did. They, they urgently needed to hear this sermon that God had, had given Jonah to speak. You see, they, they all may have looked mighty and powerful and self-sufficient and all put together. But at this point in their history, the people of Nineveh were starting to experience some difficult times. History tells us they had recently suffered two different plagues that had killed thousands of people, and they had also just gone through a total solar eclipse. Now, you can only imagine what a frightening experience that would be if you didn't have scientists to explain to you what was going on. They didn't understand in those days that kind of a natural phenomenon. Plus, Babylon, the great Babylon, was rising in power at that time, as were other nations that were bordering Assyria. This meant that the, that the Ninevites faced potential war on many different fronts because as I told you in week one, the Assyrian Empire was cruel. They were ruthless and revenge is a huge motivator for other nations who have been overtaken and abused. So for these 
and other reasons, these people were hungry from help from above. They were ripe for repentance. So when they heard Jonah say, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, well, I think it's safe to say that their ears would have perked up. People would have stopped what they were doing and they would have listened intently. By the way, in the, in the ancient Near East, the phrase 40 days had great religious significance. The number 40 always suggested a time of waiting for divine activity. Think of some of the instances in the Old Testament where this was true. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. During the flood, it rained for 40 days. Jesus wandered in the wilderness for 40 days. He remained on earth 40 days after his resurrection. So when the, the Ninevites heard that in 40 days, something was going to happen, it was like to them a trumpet blast of warning. There is danger coming and you had better pay attention. It was also inferred that within this period of time was the time in which God gave the people to repent. And even the king himself understood Jonah's sermon. Because in verse nine, he urged the people to repent of their sins saying, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, while Jonah watched these people not just listen, but actually respond, he must have realized that, that no matter how together a person may seem on the outside, or not, no matter how depraved an individual may, may look on the outside, the fact is every human being needs God. And you and I need to, to glean this from Jonah's experience. We really do. We must remember that, that regardless of exterior appearances, all people need the Lord. Philip Yancey wrote, we must ask God to give us grace-healed eyes so that we can see even people who offend us, not just as immoral people, but as thirsty people, like the Samaritan woman at the well. All people desperately need the Lord that we know and that we love and that we serve. Amen. A life insurance salesman was talking to a customer one day about a policy that he was trying to sell him. He finished his presentation and he said this, I, I believe this is important, but I don't wanna force it on you, so go home and sleep on it tonight. And if you wake up tomorrow morning, then give me a call. I think there was more truth to that statement than there really was humor, as cute as it is. Because the truth is that there are some people and some people you know who are not going to wake up tomorrow morning. Did you know that in the United States, five people die every minute? 297 people die every hour. This is just in our country. In the world, it's even, it's staggering. 7,123 people die every day and 2.6 million fellow Americans die every year. And the Bible tells us that if people die without Christ Jesus, they face the reality of an eternity being separated from God. 
we must never forget that men and women, friends and family, coworkers, acquaintances, need to hear the message of the love of God. A message that he has commissioned, not just for Jonah to share, but for every single one of us. Well, then Jonah learned another thing in the way that the people responded to his sermon. He saw what true repentance looked like through the king's instructions to his people. This is a staggering thought when you think about it, that a king of, of the most mightiest uh, force in the world at that time would humble himself and respond to this sermon like he did. First of all, they were told to show humility. The king ordered all of them to wear sackcloth and to sit in ashes. Through this action, they were saying, we make no excuses, God. What we have done is wrong, and we agree with you. Secondly, everyone was encouraged to cut themselves off from the source of their problem. This was to be accomplished through prayer and through fasting. In this way, they were admitting that their problem was due to their love of the things of the world. Therefore, when they stopped eating and when they stopped drinking, they were severing ties with those material things. And that's what fasting is about. Think about it. These people were for forbidden to even drink water as well as the livestock. And instead, they were instructed to cry out urgently to God. This, this phrase refers wholeheartedly to, to prayers and repentance, prayers of repentance, physically using one, one's whole body and being to cry out to God, confessing their personal sin. And thirdly, the king spoke of the, the fruit of repentance. That is to say that they were to turn from their, their evil ways and their violence. As I told you, these people were known for their wickedness. They were known for their cruelty. And now they were being asked to stop living that way. And in a nutshell, that is what repentance looks like. For us to experience God's forgiveness and his restoration, we must humbly agree with him that what we have been doing is sin and it is wrong. And then we must turn completely away from doing it any longer. It is a complete turning away from sin. Well, then Jonah learned another amazing thing. It's also possible for a sermon to affect God. I say this because since the people responded to Jonah's sermon by repenting, God relented. He changed his plans. No fire or brimstone fell from the sky on this Sodom and Gomorrah-like city. God pulled back his hand of judgment. Now many people think this runs in direct conflict with what the scriptures say. In James chapter one, where it says God does not change like the shifting shadows. But understand, God did not change. God has always hated sin, and he's always loved sinners, and he's always been willing to offer forgiveness to sinners. And, I, and he longs for that part of it more than anything else. Jeremiah 18, seven, eight, seven and eight says, I want you to understand, this is God speaking here. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, 
Then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. So God did not change. The Ninevites changed. They, they heard God's words spoken by Jonah and they repented and they chose to align themselves with God and he responded to their repentance in line with his character of a loving, forgiving God. Scott, would you guys come forward and help me to close this down? In chapter three here, we clearly see that Jonah gleaned a a great deal of wisdom from this mini sermon that he didn't wanna preach, but he did. He learned that God can use our tough times in a most powerful way. He discovered that success in being God's representative is due to God's power and not his own. He also saw that people really needed to hear from God. And he also witnessed a great example of true repentance. And he realized that it is possible for a sermon to even affect God. So the question that's dying to be asked today of you is what have you learned from Jonah's five word sermon this morning. Has God spoken to you personally throughout the study of Jonah? Has he called you to share his word with a lost friend or a family member or someone that you work with or or an acquaintance of some kind? Has he convicted you of sin? Has he convicted you perhaps of an act of of disobedience? Is he calling you, sir, ma'am, to true repentance? Have you realized this morning how much it is that you truly need God in your life? I mentioned last week that whenever the word of God is spoken, it demands a response. And the message Jonah spoke as well as the one that has been presented to you today is offered in the hopes that it will push us to change. It will bring change into our lives. As I thought and I prayed about how I might end this sermon, or this service today, an old Christian hymn came to mind. It's titled, I Surrender All. It is really the anthem of the Christian life, though you don't hear it sung too much anymore since contemporary Christian music has kinda moved its way in. But I love the hymns, and I love the words in so many of them, and this one is especially meaningful. Because surrendering God is a part of the Christian life. And the point is that we've got to get self out of the way. We've got to get our flesh out of the way in order for the spirit of God to use us and to truly guide us. I asked Scott and the team to sing this song. And while they're singing, if you feel led to to come up to this altar today and use it as a sign of surrender, feel free to do that. Maybe you'll use it as an expression to say, God, here I am. I'm surrendering all to you. I'm surrendering my will to you. Use me 
in whatever way it is that, that you choose. Yes, even use me in that thing you've been bugging me with for a long time, that I've been standing in the way of doing it. And I will be obedient this time to what you call me to do. Then feel free to come forward and spend time at this altar. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, today you can do so. You can come up here and you can receive salvation. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All you need to do is pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the only way to God the Father, and today I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Become the Lord of my life, and he will. Maybe today you just need a, a fresh touch from God. Maybe you're discouraged. Perhaps you're dealing with fear about something in your life. Well, this song about surrender applies to you too. Because there comes a point when you need to surrender not just your will, but you have to surrender the fact that you don't have the ability in your own power and strength to deal with what you're dealing with. You need the power of God in your life, so step out of the way. Let God do the worrying for you. Quit doing it yourself. Coming up to this altar can be a sign of your surrender in that area of the power of God in your life. Or maybe you just want to come forward today and you just want to thank God for his faithfulness to you, his faithfulness to you and your family. Take this time as a time of thanksgiving. No matter how God moves you this morning, no matter what God has spoken to you today, I want you to feel free to come forward while the worship team sings Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Pastors will come up and we'll pray for you. And when we're done, we will close this service in prayer. Thanks, God. Oh, to Jesus, I surrender. Take.
continue to pray. They can stay here as long as you'd like. I'd like you to bow your heads with me. We'll close this service in prayer. Precious Lord, we thank you as always for the word of God. We thank you that within every story is a story for us on how to live our lives, how to be obedient to you and how to respond to your, your calling and your nudging do the things that you've asked us to do because as we see time and time again whenever that happens great things occur Father I pray you take away fear reservation self doubt all of those things that prevent us from doing the things that you call us to do because we don't feel we're worthy or we don't feel that we're capable or we don't feel like we're good enough Lord we just throw that in the trash each every one of those thoughts and help us to understand that we are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are royalty and you will use us, God, as long as we are obedient and as long as we allow your spirit to guide and direct us. So I pray that every person in this place would open up their heart, their mind, their spirit to the spirit of God and what he is saying to us individually and the things that you are calling us to do. And for us to understand that when we mess up, there is grace. 
there is forgiveness and we are given fresh start to go back out there and do it again. God, I pray that you would make us a church full of people who are obedient to your call. We are obedient to the things that you've asked us to do and we would bear great fruit every time we step out in faith and allow you to use us. There's anyone here today, Father, does not know you as Lord and Savior and maybe didn't have the courage to come to this altar. I pray that they would have the courage to pray a simple prayer of forgiveness, acknowledging Jesus as Lord, asking for forgiveness of their sin and inviting you to be Lord of their life. And Father, as that happens, I pray that you will help us as a church to come alongside of these men and women, to encourage them, to disciple them in their relationship with you. So God, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be designed to build people up and not tear them down, that we would be like bright lights in a very dark world that needs Jesus, that that bright light is because of your love that shines through us, it permeates us and people are attracted to it. Pray that you would bring people into our path that would say, what is it about you that is different? And we can say, I thought you'd never ask. I'm a Christian, I love the Lord and he's made a difference in my life and this is what he can do for you. Father, I pray for a, for a God-ordained moment for all of us this week where we can share your goodness. The time is short and as was expressed today, People are dying every day that, that don't know you. Help us. Let that break our hearts enough to open our mouths and share your goodness. I pray, Father, between now and the next time we gather together, you keep us safe from accidents. You keep us safe from sickness and disease so that we can gather together again and worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit, which is so strong in this place, especially at this altar today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.